0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Merry Christmas. It may be a little early for you, but it's December, so I'm going to tell you Merry Christmas as often as I see you over the next few weeks. How many of you are glad to be here today? You glad to be here? Well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here, that you got up on this Sunday morning and you chose to weather the 70 degree rain that's out there feels like Christmas, doesn't it? No. No, I'm glad that you're here. I'm so thankful that you're here. You know, speaking of Christmas, uh, we, we are jumping into a new series. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the Christmas story in a little different way. But if you if you were, were not here last week, I encourage you, go back and listen to the podcast. Pastor Trevor did a phenomenal job just talking of, out of Mark chapter 2 uh, about some servants there and really challenging all of us. And I think coming into this Christmas season, it's just a great, uh, great message for us to all hear and just to to challenge us to, as we think about Christmas, as we think about the holidays, how we position ourselves in relationship with other people. He, he it was a masterful job of looking at that story and, and the idea that your serving may not save you, but it could save someone else. What a powerful, powerful message! I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But it, it is coming up to Christmas time. And this week in preparation for that, I was looking at a lot of different resources that I had in preparation of Christmas, and I ran across this story. Some of you may have heard this before. There was a boy by the name of Little Johnny. I don't know if his name was Little Johnny or they just called him Little Johnny, but Little Johnny was getting ready for Christmas, and Little Johnny had not been great all year long. He was more on the naughty list than the nice list, and so his mom was challenging him one night, and she said, Little Johnny, I mean, you know, you just haven't been great this year, and so I'm not really sure that Santa's going to bring you any presents, and he was Like, no, Santa's gotta bring me presents. She was like, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe maybe if you pray, maybe if you pray to Jesus, you know, you'll get some presents. I I don't know, but you're gonna have to change some things. And so he goes to his room and he's trying to pray, but he thought, well, I mean, some people write letters to Santa. Maybe if I write a letter to Jesus, maybe, maybe that would be better. And so he tries to write a letter, but it doesn't. So he says, I'll just pray. I'll just pray. So he, he kneels down beside his bed. He clasps his hands in front of him, and he says, dear Jesus, if you will help Santa to bring me presents, I promise I will be good all of next year. And he thinks, well, no, I can't, I can't really do that. There's no way I could promise that. And so he says, okay, okay, dear Jesus, if you will let Santa bring me presents, I promise I will be good for the next six months. I can't really promise that. So he says, dear Jesus, if you will let Santa bring me presents, I promise I will be good for the next three months. He gets up from beside his bed and he walks out into the living room and he looks around and nobody's in there. And so he walks over to the nativity set, does something, disrupts it, comes back to his bed and he says, Dear Jesus, I have your mother. If you don't let Santa bring me presents, you'll never see her again. And he hides Mary under his bed. Now, I don't know how the whole Jesus and Santa, I'm not sure if they're in cahoots here or how that works. I'm not sure who you're praying to for the things that you want during this month. But what I want to do over the next few weeks is I really want us to look at the Christmas story. You know, it's a challenge sometimes for us when we look at stories that we're familiar with, that we know, to, to really unpack that story and not just glaze over some of the components of the story that that we have heard so many times before. But the reality of the Christmas story is that the Christmas story is just like every other story that you've ever heard, at least in the way that it's constructed. A few years ago, I was introduced to the writings of a guy by the name of Robert McKee. Robert McKee has written a lot and and holds seminars based around the way that stories are structured, And many of the great screenwriters that that write movies that you and I would go and pay money to see, and many of the great authors that write the books that you and I purchase, they have studied under the tutelage of Robert McKee as he helps them to understand how stories are constructed. Later, after Robert McKee was presenting a seminar, there was a guy by the name of Donald Miller, who was a Christian author. And Donald Miller went to this seminar one time, and he, he saw that the story was the most important thing about how you construct and, and really engage people. And so Donald Miller took the components of what Robert McKee was teaching about story, and he couched that in the context of marketing. And he now has an entire company that helps nonprofits and businesses, small businesses, to help engage their customers around writing a better and telling a better story. And he has a book and a website resource about building a story brand. And so it's really a powerful thing. But you don't have to pay thousands of dollars to know what Robert McKee teaches or to know what Donald Miller teaches. You don't even have to buy their books, though I would encourage you to buy their books. I will tell you Robert McKee's book is about 700 pages. So just, you know, kind of strap in for that one. And Donald Miller's, is a couple hundred pages, but it, both of them, very good reads if you like that sort of thing. And, and I'm going to tell you what they talk about. When you're looking at any story, so this goes for any book you've read. This goes for any movie that you've watched. It goes for any television show that you sat down and, and watched. Every single good story has the same basic structure. And not only does it have the same basic, basic structure, it has the same basic components. And those components really start with the hero. It starts with the hero. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to be a superhero. It doesn't mean that they have to have supernatural powers. It doesn't mean that they have to even act heroic. It can be a random guy. It can be a random girl. But it is the main character of the story. And the reason that they're called the hero is because the author, the writer, wants you and I to see them accomplish something that they are in pursuit of. That's really the main characteristic of a hero is that they have to be in pursuit of something. They have to be pursuing something. It could be love. It could be wealth. It could be fame. It it could be relationship. It could be family. It could be a new job. It could be world peace. It doesn't really matter what they're pursuing. It only matters that they're in pursuit of something that they don't yet possess and something that's really greater than themselves. And so you have a hero. And then not too long after you're introduced to the hero, then you are introduced to the first piece of conflict. As soon as you know what the hero is in pursuit of, now you discover that there's something that's fighting against the hero from accomplishing what they want. You think about your favorite story, your favorite book, your favorite movie. Once you were introduced to the main character, that hero in the story, pretty quickly you were introduced to the conflict that was trying to keep them from accomplishing what they wanted to accomplish. That conflict, it doesn't matter what it is, really, it's just a tension. Because you and I would not sit through a movie or a television show, we wouldn't read a book that doesn't have some type of conflict or tension. If the story, and you've watched these types of movies, I'm sure you got bored with them and you turned them off, or you started these types of books and you put them down because it didn't catch your attention, if the story has no conflict and no tension and the hero just starts out and they're going to accomplish it and they accomplish it with no conflict, no tension, it's really a boring story, isn't it? And so the idea here is that in stories, conflict creates tension, and that tension creates the hook where you and I, as the consumer of this story, decide that we want to stay engaged. It doesn't have to be something evil. It doesn't necessarily have to be something bad, but it is something that creates conflict and tension that keeps the hero from being able to quickly acquire what it is that they're in pursuit of. After we have the conflict, then we're introduced to a new character. That new character is the guide. The guide is someone who comes alongside the hero. Now, it doesn't have to be a new relationship. It can be somebody they've already known. It could be a best friend, a sister, a brother. It could be a grandparent. It could be a next-door neighbor. Whoever it is, it's this Yoda-like persona in their life that helps to encourage them to keep going, to continue to pursue whatever it is that they're after in their life. You don't need to give up. You need to continue to pursue this. This guide in their life just helps the hero to act Heroic. Now, just as an aside for a second, if you are a business owner, you are in business, I will sum up Donald Miller's book for you about marketing and business. He says, as it relates to story, that so often companies and businesses and nonprofits try to make themselves the hero. But really, if they would change the script and they would make the customer the hero and they would serve as the guide, then they would write a story that customers want to stay a part of. That's the hook of Donald Miller. So if you want to read that book, you can definitely read it, but I just gave you the notes, and I saved you $18, all right? So then after you have the guide, then you have a new setback. So you have a new setback. There was conflict, remember. The guide says keep going. As they keep going, now you have some other type of setback, right? You, you, they, they, they don't get the job. Somebody says they're not going to make enough money. The the person that they're attracted to, you know, finds out that they've been lying or they, they misunderstand something that's happening. So there's a setback in the story. The villain, the, the person that's introduced to us in the conflict uh, stage of the story, sets a trap or they fought a battle or they tricked the hero. And it looks like it's all going to fall apart until the guide tells the hero to try again. So they do, that brings us to the climax. Will they or won't they when we come to the resolution of the story? This is the kiss at the end of the Hallmark movie. It's like this is how the story ends. Every story that you and I have ever consumed in any medium has these same structures, has these same characteristics. And what I love about the Christmas story is it also possesses so many of these characteristics. Long before Robert McKee wrote the book, long before Donald Miller stole those ideas to write his own book, God put together in his holy word for you and I the story of how Jesus came to the earth. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to look at the Christmas story, and I want us to see the story in a little bit of a new light to really challenge what we see and what we do with the characters of Christmas. So often what we focus on in Christmas is we focus on The shepherds, and the wise men, and Mary, and Joseph, and the animals, and baby Jesus. And all of those are important to the story, but today I want to start in a little bit of a weird place. I want to start with the villain. I want to start with Herod. Now, I told you that in every story there is conflict, there's some type of tension. And in that conflict or tension, we are often introduced to the villain of the story, And as I was doing some research, I just, I came upon some other villains. I just went into Google and I typed in greatest villains of all time. And there were some awesome ones. I encourage you to do that. It's it's really fun to kind of look back here. But this is what I I kind of put together when I looked at it. I just saw some pictures there on some of the Google images. And and here's what, without the Joker, Batman isn't really Batman, right? Right? There's no bam, pow. There's, There's none of that. Without the Joker, Batman isn't really Batman. Without Captain Hook, Peter Pan's just a boy who can fly, Right? Without Cruella de Vil, there's just 101 dogs running around, right, wreaking havoc. Without Gaston, Belle and the Beast may not have ever known that they loved one another. Without Benjamin Linus, those lost folks might have been found a little earlier. <laughs> not everybody will get that. Without Newman, Jerry, Elaine, and Kramer might not have had anything interesting to talk about. Without Nina Myers, Jack Bauer would have gotten eight good hours of sleep every night, Right? <laughs> When we think about the Christmas story, we rarely think about the villain. But in the Christmas story, there is a villain, and we're introduced to him pretty quickly in the Luke and the the Mark accounts of the story of Christmas, the Luke and the Matthew accounts, I apologize, of the story of Christmas. His name is Herod. Now, Herod was uh, the ruler there. He was the king. He was the Roman-appointed king uh, of Judea. And he was appointed to be king there in 73 BCE. And and he was, by all accounts, an incredible ruler. He was an incredible king. He was a great politician. He, He was great at leading the military to accomplish great military feats and to expand the kingdom and to secure the foothold on all that the kingdom possessed. But he was also a cruel tyrant. In the time that he was in power... It was nothing for him to just kill random people or to invoke like extreme accounts of justice on those who may not have deserved it. He killed two of his wives and three of his sons. In fact, Caesar Augustus, talking about Herod, said that I would rather be his swine than his son. Herod the Great was a tyrant. He was the evil part of the story of Christmas. And what we read here in Matthew chapter 2 verse 16 tells us that when, when Herod discovered that Jesus was going to be born, he got word. Through the wise men, they had seen the star and they came looking for the baby who was to be king. And so they come, they look for the king and they are introduced to Herod. And so they tell Herod and Herod's like, oh, this is great. And so he feeling threatened, if you remember who he is, he feels threatened that as the king, there's a new baby to be born who will one day be king. And so he says, hey, once you go and worship, make sure you come back and tell me so that I too can go and worship. And so the wise men go and they find the child and when they are there, they realize, hey, Herod's tricked us, and so we're not going to go back and tell him because we think he'll do something evil. And so they go back home a different way. And look at this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. They're wise men. I, I, they would outwit anyway, him. That's side. Okay. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now, think about that for a second. We glaze right over this when we read this story so often. But Herod heard that there was going to be a child born, or there had been a child born, who was to be king. Well, he was the king. So he, he, he takes that as an offense against himself. And so he says, okay, well, listen, I'm going to kill that child. Well, when the wise men don't come back, and he doesn't know exactly where they are, he just decides, listen to this, to kill all of the boys under two years old in the entire region. Talk about a villain. Talk about someone that's evil. He's he's under attack here, and so he decides, I'm going to lash out, and I'm going to attack everybody that could possibly fit into this character, into this role of who Jesus is said to be. Now, what's amazing about it is that Herod, kind of announcing that he's going to kill all these babies, word gets to Joseph Hey, you know, King Herod, he's put out the word that he's going to kill all these babies. And so Joseph takes Mary and Jesus, and they go to Egypt. So often we glaze over that part of the story. But they go to Egypt because they're seeking asylum. They are refugees in, 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 in search of peace for their, themselves. They don't want the king to be able to do harm to their child, and so they go to Egypt. Well, amazingly, what that does is it fulfills one of the Messianic prophecies about who Jesus was. It says that he would come out of Egypt. Well, a messianic prophecy was a word that was told in advance about who Jesus would be. Any prophecy is something that is foretold. It's told in advance. And so when we talk about a prophecy, the greatest way for you to tell if a prophecy is real is if it ever comes true, right? And so if I were to stand up here today and say, I'm going to have Mexican for lunch, about 1.30 today, you're going to know I'm a prophet, right? <laughs> you're going to know that. That's just, I mean, because I am, right? Oh. But in the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived on the scene, there were specific statements and prophecies made about who he would be. And one of those is that he would come out of Egypt. Well, if Herod was not trying to kill all of the babies under two years old, Joseph would not have gone to Egypt. He would have taken his family back to Galilee. But instead, he goes to Egypt. Well, after Herod dies, because this was all at the very end of his reign, after Herod dies... He splits his kingdom to his sister and his three sons. And so then Joseph feels the Lord telling him, you can go back home. The one that wanted to kill your child is no longer living. And so Joseph goes back to Galilee. But when he gets there, he realizes that Herod's son is in power. And so he says, oh, I, I'm, I'm afraid that he'll invoke his father's wrath. And so he goes to Nazareth, which fulfills another messianic prophecy about who Jesus was. Now, You could look at this with skepticism and you could say, well, but Joseph knew all of those prophecies and so he took his child to Egypt and he took his child to Nazareth. No, but if you put yourself in the story, what you recognize here is that they were under attack. This is real life events happening in real time. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we take the emotion out of it. If you have children today, If the context of this story was superimposed over our world right now in this moment, and you heard that every single child in the state of Georgia was to be put in prison, I won't even take it as morbid as we can go, was to be put in prison, you would want to fight back against that, or you would want to flee from the region where that was going to take place because you would want to protect your child. That's what Joseph's doing. There is an evil force at work in this story that actually brings to light so much of the power of the story. Well, the problem arises in my life and in your life as we put our own story under the microscope, and we want all the blessings of God without any of the conflict or tension. I heard a parent say one time that had kind of young teenage children. They were in that 11, 12, 13-year-old range. And here's what the parent said, and this is such a powerful statement. They said, and we were in our our small group together. They said this statement. They said, So much of what I know about God was learned during hard times as the consequences of my own mistakes. And I want my children to know all those truths about God without having to endure any of those mistakes. Isn't that true? That's what we want. But even if you take it out of the context of parenting, when we think about our own lives, we want to know the truths of God. We want to know everything about God. We want all the blessings of God. But we want none of the conflict, none of the tension. We want no villains in our lives. But that's not the way stories are constructed. There are setbacks. There's a villain. There's tension. There's conflict. If you are a hero in pursuit of anything, if you're in pursuit of anything, the enemy, according to Scripture, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He desires to destroy you. And I don't say that today so that I can go, Merry Christmas, have a great day. I'm telling you that the story of Christmas actually flips that script on its head. Because there was a villain, because there was a hero and the hero's not you. The story of Christmas is not necessarily about you and it's not about me. We're the beneficiaries of this incredible story of Christmas. Have you ever gotten a gift at Christmas time that you didn't have room for? Like somebody gave you, I don't know, a, like a treadmill and you just didn't have anywhere to put it? Nobody. Okay. So When our kids were very small, it wasn't that we didn't have room for the gifts, but we just made a rule with my parents, you can't give them anything with more than 10 pieces. Like, that was just kind of our rule, because we felt like anything more than 10 pieces, we're never going to have all the pieces. And really, that should have been three pieces. Like, we should have just made it three pieces, because anything more than 10, it's like if you give my child a 100-piece puzzle, we're going to put the puzzle together And be missing several important puzzle pieces and get very irritated that we're missing like the main, I don't even know what that's supposed to be. I've got the body. I don't know what that character is because I have no face. There's no, we've, Kenley, where did you put the, everybody look under the table. Look under the, no, no. So what we told our parents was, don't get them Legos. We'll get them some things. Don't get them Legos with like a thousand-piece Starship Trooper thing. Like, I, I, we can't, please don't. I will step on the, is that not the worst pain in the world? Scientists say that a man stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night on his way to the bathroom is worse than childbirth. That I have heard that. I've absolutely heard that. And I got an amen down here from Brother Rick who needs a, someone else to take him to lunch now. So... <laughs> But here's the deal: Have you ever gotten anything that you just you, you just didn't you didn't have room for? Again, the treadmill thing. I mean, I don't know who's buying treadmills, but you know, just as a side. Also, guys, do not buy your wife a car and put a bow on it without talking to her first. Like, I just feel like that's just bad marriage advice. Like, just don't. You probably need to talk about the financing structure with her before she just walks outside and sees that. You ever gotten a gift that you just didn't have room for? You don't really need another shirt. You don't need another tie. You don't need new socks, you don't, you don't need the whatever it is that they give you because you already have one of those, you already have three of those, you already have five, you don't really need it, you don't have room for it. Well, ultimately, when we boil down the story of the villain in the Christmas story, I believe that's what we're dealing with. I believe we're dealing with a story where the Christmas gift for all mankind comes to the earth and Herod doesn't have room for him in his story. If you remember, Herod was the king. Herod was the king. And the king in that day and time wasn't up for re election every few years. It was his throne. And at the end of his reign, he handed it off to his children because it was his throne. And so if anyone began to proclaim that they were king and it was their throne, we had a fight. And in this story, the Christmas story, what we see about Herod is that he felt that he was under attack. Herod was under attack. And here's what happens. When people feel like they're under attack, they go on the attack. Some of the people that are attacking you right now, and I don't mean that maybe even literally, they're not not breaking out a fist fight at the water cooler at work. I, I don't know. Maybe they are. If they are, you probably need to get a new job or report that to human resources, but If they're attacking you, what if just for a moment, you just took a step back, you just took a breath, you just waited a beat, and you tried to imagine what it is that they're going through, what's going on in their life, what kind of attack they might be under that's causing them to go on the attack. It's called empathy. It's trying to feel what they feel. It's not just saying, I know how I feel. It's not just saying, I know how you make me feel. It's saying, I'm trying to figure out what you feel that makes you act the way that you're acting towards me right now. And so in your home, with your spouse, that's constantly at odds with you, what if you just said, what would cause them to react this way? Why would they be lashing out over these small things that are so insignificant seeming to me. I I put myself in their shoes. I empathize to the point where I try to remove my emotions just for a moment. I ask the Lord to help me in that moment to go, what is it that I, I think that they may be feeling? How might they be interpreting my words? How might they be interpreting the events of our life and the story of our lives so that they would respond in this way? And then when I understand that, I go, oh, now I know why you're on the attack because you feel like you're being attacked try to go, why would my kids respond that way? Kids, why, why, maybe you say, why would my mom and dad respond that way? Why would they say that? Why would they say I couldn't go? What, what is it that they feel about what I'm trying to do and trying to become and trying to be? I, I empathize. Why would my boss say that? Why would my coworker act that way? So often when people feel under attack, they go on the attack. And our job when we are being attacked, is to try to go, okay, I'm not going to just lash back out at you. I'm not going to kill every two-year-old and under boy because I feel like it's a threat to who I am. I want to step back and go, is there room in my story for you? That's the story of Herod. Herod wasn't able to answer that question correctly. There was no room for Jesus in the story of Herod. Because Herod was the king. It was his throne. It was his throne. People under attack often go on the attack. 30 plus years later, Jesus would grow up. And one night, he was going to be arrested. His closest followers were there with him. And as they're standing there, they come to arrest him. the high priest is there. One of the servants of the high priest is standing there and they're coming to arrest Jesus. And Peter decides, This is the moment. We're under attack. We've got to attack back. And he grabs the sword of one of the guards. And when I read this story, I can't help but chuckle. I'm not a, I'm not a big weapons guy, I got to be honest. I'm, I've shot a gun, I'm not very good at it. But like Peter picks up a sword and I, did he go after the guard's ear or did he try to cut the guy's head off and miss? I don't know. I don't know, but I don't feel like he was trying to throw like a a lasting blow and cut the guy's ear off. Feels like a little bit of Mike Tyson of Andrew Holyfield there. I'm not really sure how that plays out, but Peter felt under attack, and so he went on the attack. This is the most troubling thing to me about Christians on social media. It is. It is. We are convinced that Jesus needs our help in defending him to the point that we defend him so well we alienate everyone who actually needs him. I'm not saying that you shouldn't stand up for what's right. I'm not saying you shouldn't proclaim what you believe. I think you should. But the problem with social media and the problem when you do things outside of the context of face-to-face interactions and personal relationships is they can't read your tone And they can't see your body language. And they don't know that you're saying it in loving, grace-filled, I mean, humility as best you can. It's in all caps. It sounds like you're screaming at them that they're going to hell and you don't care. Is Is there room in your story for Jesus? That's the story of Herod. He felt under attack, and so he went on the attack. Here's the deal. John 15 says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. We have a response. We have a response when people attack. And the question is, do we respond... Like Herod. Herod didn't need a new king. He was already king. And so here's the question for you and for me today. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Who sits on the throne of your heart? Is there room in your story for Jesus? In this Christmas season it, it's not just shepherd it's not just wise men it's not just a manger it, it, it's not about Egypt or Galilee or Nazareth necessarily the story's not about Herod but here's what you need to know in the construction of the story of Christmas you aren't the hero I'm not the hero but we might be the villain. We might be. If we don't ensure that there's room in our story for Jesus, then we push him out of our story and then it's no story at all. You're not the hero. I'm not the hero. But we could be the villain who sits on the throne of your heart today in just a second we're going to pray and as we enter into this Christmas season perhaps for you the best thing that you could do is to invite the Lord to take his rightful place in the throne of your heart to say I need you to forgive my sins and to lead and guide my life to be my Lord and my king this is more than just praying a prayer. Maybe you've prayed that prayer before to ask him to forgive your sins, but you've never given him lordship. You've never given him kingship of your life. You don't need a king. You, you sit on your own throne. You sit in rulership of your own life, and perhaps you need to get out of that seat that's not rightfully yours. And Say, God, would you, would you take your rightful place on the throne of my heart? Would you lead and guide my life? Would you direct me to the paths that you have for me, God, I know I'm not the hero, but I don't want to be the villain. I, God, I want I want you to take your rightful place on the throne of my heart. And today, maybe you say, "Hey, you know, that's I've already done that. That's good. I, I've I've done that. I've taken that step." Maybe today you want to make sure that when you are attacked. That you don't just attack back. Maybe you feel under attack right now. Maybe you feel like people are coming at you. Maybe you feel like there's a lot of persecution or oppression in some way against you and your life and your story. And you wanna make sure that you're responding in ways that honor God. Maybe you say, God, give me empathy for the people in my home, for the people on my job. God, give me empathy. Help me to feel what they may feel. Help me to think about what they may be thinking. Why they would respond that way? And God, let me extend grace, Your grace, Your love, Your forgiveness towards them, so that they would see You in the way that I respond. So today, we want to give you the opportunity to allow God to do that work in you. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around. Just a moment of personal reflection here to begin this Christmas season. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, it's it's that first call. It's I need Him to forgive my sins be the lord of my life i need him to take his rightful place as the king of my heart and so today i want to make that declaration i want to ask him to forgive my sins and lead and guide my life from this moment forward would you lift your hand right where you're at thank you so much you can put it right down anybody else thank you so much Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I want to be the kind of person that responds in ways that honor God. I want to make sure that when I'm under attack, I don't go on the attack. I want to empathize. I want to respond in ways that are kind and compassionate and gracious towards those so that they see Christ in me. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, today I thank you for every hand that was lifted in this place. I thank you, God, that you're a God who told an incredible story in the gospel accounts of Christmas And God, I thank you that as we read that story, there's so many truths that we can take for ourselves. And God, I ask that you would help all of us to recognize the role that we play in the Christmas story. We are not the hero. But God, we can be the villain. And I pray for every person in this place that we would not assume that role. I pray now for every person that lifted their hands to ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Forgive their sins and lead their lives from this moment forward. God, we thank you for all that you've done. And God, I ask you now for every person in this place that lifted their hands, that wants to respond in ways that honor you, empathize, be gracious and loving and caring and forgiving. God, I pray today that you would help all of us to represent you. When we feel under attack, that we would not go on the attack. God, I pray for every person in this place, every person that may listen later in some way. God, we would allow you to take your rightful place to sit on the throne of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com cantonchurchga